Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to The Push, taking you inside the world of wheelchair tennis. Welcome to the fourth episode of The Push Wheelchair Tennis Podcast. I'm Tim Conley, the Wheelchair Hub Manager at Hume Tennis, and I'm thrilled to be hosting this podcast with my co-host, Paralympic gold medalist, athlete, Heath Davison. Heath, great to be back, bud. Thanks, Timmy. How are you going, brother? Mate, good, good, good. We've actually um, looking forward to this episode. Greg Crump, Crumpy, as everybody knows, who's just a legend in wheelchair tennis. What What do you know about Crumpy? Well, I mean, I know Crumpy's been around longer than Tennis Australia has actually been a thing, so <laughs> he... Um, Knows what he's talking about. He's been around for a while. Crumpy was actually my first contact down at Tennis Australia back when I was a young pup. I think I was only about 14 at the time. So definitely knows what he's talking about. And all in all, just a great fella. I'm looking forward to chatting to Greg and just to sort of hearing what he has to say about you. Obviously, he's known you since a young guy and also just letting us know, you know, the the growth and the development of wheelchair tennis uh, across the globe. So Mate, just, just since you've come back from Europe, just tell us how the end of your trip went from after the last podcast. I mean, my trip in Europe was pretty successful. As um, we spoke about on the last podcast, I made the Wimbledon final in the singles and the doubles. And then was in Geneva. I lost to a guy named Guy Assassin, who is a really good player. Um, went 7-5 in the third to him. So pretty happy all in all. We won the doubles there and then uh, continued on to Belgium and managed to win my second singles title for the year, which was cool. I won another doubles title with Robert Shaw. We've gone on a little bit of a run this year. We've made 13 doubles finals and we've won six of them. So we're doing all right in that department. And then uh, British Open to finish it all up. And we got some revenge on the winners of the French Open and beat Lapo and Donald in the uh, semi-final to make the doubles final of that. I um, dropped out a little bit early in the singles. I only made the quarterfinals. My head was sort of halfway home already. It was a long trip, good trip, not good enough by me um, on the day of the singles. So definitely um, got some stuff to work on moving forward and now just getting ready for the US. Yeah. Get over to New York and get the US swing underway. Awesome, awesome. Well, but I reckon we should bring him in, don't you think? Crumpy. So Greg Crump. I'm not sure how long he's been at Tennis Australia for, but I know it's it's a while and we'll find out from him. But he's obviously a world guru in wheelchair tennis. He's even actually got a Wikipedia page. That's how famous he's become. I didn't realize he was that famous. Did you know he's that famous? I did not. I know he doesn't follow many people on um, the socials, but I don't know how well he goes on the old social media, old Crumpy, but he knows his way around a tennis court and that's the main thing. Greg Crump, welcome to the Push Podcast. It's an honor to have you with us. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Very good. Some uh, some kind words said. Uh, like a lot of things, if you hang around long enough, you'll get a job. So uh, I've managed to uh, make a career at a at a tennis and a wheelchair tennis. So uh, happy days. It's been a interesting journey from uh, grassroots to where it is currently. I know having watched you just with the youngest guys, and then also just working with some of the elite, that the impact that you've had. So. Heath, what, what sort of impact did Crumpy have on on your career? And, you know, obviously one of our most well-known wheelchair players, even Dylan. Well, I mean, back when I was a young pup, we used to go down and do like group sessions with Crumpy. And just, I was 
at that time being coached by a guy, Marco, who is now my coach anyway, but like he never had anything anything to do with anybody with a disability on a tennis court. So it's really cool to get Crumpy's perspective and some tips and stuff. And he helped he's helped my game massively over the course of the years that I've been playing. We had a bit of a quick little 15-minute bash couple of days ago and we're probably going to have a hit tomorrow which is good Francois is away currently so always around he's always always been generous with his time with me and um, I can't thank him enough for that and he's taught me taught me so much I do want to hear your perspective on Heath and his development but just from from your career how, how did you get involved in wheelchair tennis and you saved in it for such a long time and you know what's the longevity and what keeps you going I run it close at the uh, the Royal Talbot Hospital which is the spinal hospital today I, I go there every Thursday to work with patients there and the, one of the staff members come up and he said uh, how many years is this and he said are you up to 40 years yet and Jess and I've done a quick calculation and it turned out it was 36 years I've been going to the hospital on a Thursday. So in that time, I, I gather I've made contact with probably a couple of thousand uh, wheelchair people gone through the Talbot. Several of those have gone on to uh, play tennis as their recreation sport. Some of them have gone on to uh, be uh, Paralympians. We've had a world champion there. We've had also ones that have competed in world team cups. That's the the good side. You know, the medal's are always nice to have, but if you can make a, a difference to someone's life and they continue to play tennis and that's a gold medal in in my eye as well from there i go to the children's hospital same thing there's been several athletes that have come out of there and gone on uh, and played uh, representative australia as well been in the game quite a while and i just love it also the opportunity to keep reinventing myself as well it's after 36 years uh, is a long time but the sports evolved which has given me the opportunity to evolve as well if you've already been in a, a sport which has been established for yeah, a number of years, 50 or 100 years, it's pretty much a yeah, slow burn. But in the last 40 years, it's gone from a grassroots, yeah, volunteer, uh, amateur sport to full-time professional athletes, as well as full-time coaches, staff, and also federations around the world supporting the, the Paralympic and wheelchair athletes. Well, I just even know, even from the last eight years that we've been involved, just the professionalism of the players and the investment that even a lot of the federations are putting into the sport and even the awareness that the players have within the tennis community is just growing all the time. Yeah, absolutely. It's quite a journey to see where it was, the sport, but one of the great strengths which hasn't left is just the wheelchair tennis community around the world. Although it's competitive, very, very competitive now, it's still a big community that travels the world and one day um, the guy up the other end might be your opponent and half an hour later he might be your partner in a doubles match. So um, there's a very strong wheelchair tennis community there. From my observation, it, it's still a very welcoming sport as well. So for somebody who wants to play recreation or play full-time, it's still a welcoming sport. You're saying on a on a Thursday you, you go into the Talbot and into the children's. Are they days you look forward to? or How are your emotions on those days? Because I can just imagine sometimes going there must be quite challenging. Probably the feedback I get from the, the people in, it, and in the hospital there and there's a guy just currently and your life's been turned upside down, but he comes up and he goes, mate, I so look forward to Thursday. That's the highlight of my week. You know, I love to get out there, play tennis and feel like I'm doing something you know, normal again. I, I can go back and uh, I know I can play with my family when I get out of here. That's a bonus. And also with the, the children's hospital there, plenty of mums and dads that have been through there and you know, there's a lot of sick kids. There, no one's done anything wrong, but a lot of sick kids. But if a lot of kids can uh, 
just break the cycle for an hour and so and go and hit some tennis balls and have a laugh. Yeah, that's a great day at the office. Well, you're involved in wheelchair tennis, but then the kids with disabilities or in a wheelchair, how, how important is sport for them? It's crucial for not only their strength and, and work on their chair skills and balance, but uh, a sense of community and uh, to get back into life as well, to get back into uh, school as well, have some mates. And as I said earlier, the, the community as well, to you know, look forward to and meet some new mates around the world. And that's been a, a genuine strength of playing sport. And it doesn't have to be tennis. So I'd encourage anyone, if it's not going to be tennis, so be it. But yeah, make sure you get into to sports, some activity. That's that's the big thing. And I still continue to play tennis once or twice a week. It's uh, not to the standard it once was. I still love the game. I, I still love having a hit of tennis. And um, I, I coach a lot of hours a week, but I still make a point of hitting you know, an hour, hour and a half a week just for my own amusement. Um, and I, I still enjoy doing that. I just wanted to say, like, all of the work that Crumpy does down at the Royal Talbot and the Children's Hospital is awesome because it brings a bit of normality back to the the lives of people that have had an accident or have been put in wheelchairs when everything else has been turned upside down a lot of people used to play sport and have continued to play sport so them being back out either on a tennis court or on a basketball court or just even back in the gym it just it, it sort of brings normality a little bit of normality back to their lives which is um, a really good thing when at that point in time they might feel like everything is just all over the shop so let's make it a bit lighter then just for a second in that probably what do you remember about heath when you first saw him uh, he was the same bloke just younger and a lot fatter no not really no you you always <laughs> we're hanging around dylan's um <laughs> now look uh you always uh you're sort of the same bloke i guess we are you know, the same person uh, even when we were younger there yeah you had a, a start with your tennis career it was it was pretty promising there you tried out some other sports as well then got sidetracked as they say in, in these today's world and probably for five to eight years i guess uh you got left the sport you know i guess we crossed paths here and said yeah come and have a hit of tennis again which you did do and um we hit some again and i, I think you love the game as well because you could not travel the world or do it unless you love the game it's just it's hard it's really really hard some other sports yeah local sports the afl like oh yeah it's really tough you know mate you're sleeping in your own bed every night and you go to queensland four times a year it's not that hard mate but tennis player yeah you're on the road a lot and you've got to love it it, it does get tiring but you work out a way to have a lifestyle while you're on the road as well but it, it does get tiring from time to time i mean if anything i think crumpies just gets more annoyed with me now because the more i've improved and the better i've got as a tennis player the more things i do that crumpies always told me not to do because i feel like like I can now, like never go down the line because it's a Hollywood shot or don't do drop shots from behind the baseline. It's a bit different to the old keep the ball cross court, good shape, don't miss. So it's good fun. And I, lo I love working with Crumpy. Um, it's always fun having a hit with him. He doesn't move as well as he used to back in the day, but put a racket in his hand and he can do whatever he wants with that ball. It's scary. It's interesting you say that in jest. Don't go down the line. However, that was words of wisdom eight years ago. And you still remember, <laughs> that's that's good that you were listening to me, if nothing else, and you get like, you missed. And go, yeah, yeah, yeah. But now you're a big boy. You're allowed to go down the line. But uh, yeah, definitely keep it on the cross. Play the odds. Still do one thing that frustrates the hell out of me is it turns up. You've got, you've got a grip on your racket. He goes, no, I'm going to put it on there. He never puts his grip 
rip on. Um, <laughs> part of the routine, Crumpy. It's a part of the routine. It helps me focus. Anyway, I was the other one. I you know, love my gear. Put your hand in your bag. You pull out number one racket, ready to rock, and you're there going, now where's my bag? Have I got a grip? So quick question for you, Crumpy. Talking about back in your playing days when you played college tennis, did you have like any superstitions or like a routine that you used to go through before you played? Did you have a favorite racket that you always went to? Yeah, as I said, uh, equipment I was a stickler for and, and still am. My equipment was always pristine. I had it um, and I had a, a, a racket stacked order as well. So, you know, which one you're pulling out all the time. Did have a favorite racket as well, which often um, they wore out or broke. So uh, that was a problem. But um, yeah, I was always a stickler for uh, having my equipment in pristine. That comes through um, some other sports that I did as well. And some players do. I remember uh, Agassi used to pack his own bag. A lot of the pros pack their own bags to this day because uh, it, it's their gear. And I'm a believer that it's your equipment, your responsibility. Uh, not look at the coach going, how come this wasn't done? It's like, mate, your gear, your responsibility. That was my philosophy. I got taught that by a coach many years ago. Uh, your gear your responsibility and when you travel you bring it you carry it yeah i mean that's tough I mean, I will, with all the luggage that we take, it's tough, but I do what I can. I, I get that. And we've done some junior trips for four days yeah, to um, yeah, Bendigo. And there's there's two suitcases the size of a coffin each. And go, where are you going? Four days, mate. And uh, yeah, day two, they come up with these you know, two enormous laundry bags. Now, mate, it's not like at home. You make the T-shirt last a few more days. And it's not one wear. <laughs> You sure. Yeah, that's it. Speaking about like equipment and like how you like to keep yours all pristine and stuff like that, being a wheelchair tennis player and as you know, you've coached a whole heap of us, we destroy rackets. So we go, I go through probably 15 a year, I reckon, just because of like scraping on the ground and because we're so low, I hit mine on the ground all the time. But um, I used to label my rackets, like take four away with me every trip. Um, and I used to label them one to four, but I had to stop because I had favorites. And if I didn't have that racket when I wasn't playing well, I swore it was because of the racket. Now I just grab a racket out of the bag and... Oh, should be right. I didn't really, I had the favorite, but I had my string in order once I got played plane the rackets broke and stuff like that. they wore out yeah. so but i had my string in order i knew that which one was a, a new and, and so forth and as far as my tennis goes i, I was a good ordinary as a million guys that played like me there was a you know, good ordinary hacks i was a long way from uh fame and fortune crumby being such a legendary coach in the wheelchair space then what are some key principles for any wheelchair players out there that you need to have as a wheelchair player probably the the biggie and this is for coaches as well that tennis is tennis that's the biggie tennis is tennis and uh, don't try to reinvent the, the game too much you know play the odds maintain court position so forth as well keep your unforced errors to a minimum the same as tennis as well you can never be uh, too fit on a tennis court Roger Federer said uh, the best players in the world are the best movers and I thought about it and I thought that's yeah, a fair comment that the best players in the world are the best movers and I guess the same applies to wheelchair tennis as well if you can move onto the ball or get to the ball you're going to make a lot more balls and better shape and you know everything else will fall in the place you can look at me in dollars as i do if i someone hits me the ball but if i hit it out of my reach yeah i look pretty uh, second rate all of a sudden so i think mobility whether you're an able-bod player or a wheelchair player is crucial also tennis is a bit harsh you you've, you've got to be winning at the end you can't defend a lead you can't run the clock down you've got to problem solve as well getting back to what i said tennis is tennis they're all the same principles some players uh, don't 
problem solve very well or easily distracted. They get found out pretty quick. But the, the good players that we've seen over the past here in the women and men, they've got the same characteristics as a, a champion in any sport. How good are you in a wheelchair playing? I can demonstrate very well <laughs> in any club coach uh, or club education for uh, pros and that. I can demonstrate and go, this guy's pretty good. So I can do serve and potentially one shot and return and I'm inclined to charge the nets. I get found out very quick because my mobility is no good. But demonstrating, I'm, I'm not bad. Would you recommend any coach, tennis coach who wants to get into wheelchair coaching actually spend some time in the chair so they can relate? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, uh, it's a great appreciation of how difficult it is and I've also said in wheelchair tennis is two skills to learn is one is tennis and the other one is learning uh, the mobility of a wheelchair as well so most coaches can hit a decent ball so they need to work on their uh, chair skills a lot more. Do you remember when wheelchair tennis went from a standard one-handed backhand to a reverse backhand and why did people adapt to the reverse backhand more? That's a good question. When you asked me that the other day, I had a bit of time to think about it. I can't really recall the first time I saw the uh, reverse inverted backhand. It's a backhand that is hit with the same grip on the fore. You use the same side as the racket, where whereas yeah. normal tennis, you hit on, on the two different sides of the racket, but in, in wheelchair tennis, it's the same side of the racket. Was it Steve Welsh? That'd probably be a fair guess. He was pretty unorthodox the way he played. A few of the Dutchies were doing it at the time, but I, I do find that that technique someone that's had a trauma or played tennis before normally would play a classical backhand as we know it and if i jump in a wheelchair i i, I struggle to hit the inverted backhand i can demonstrate it but i'm not very good at it i'm much better at my traditional classical single-handed backhand we've got one of our juniors he used to hang around a, a squash court a lot of time and he used to hit a lot of slice mucking around on a, on a squash court and he's got a fantastic slice backhand but he doesn't hit the inverted one very well at all you know you go with your strengths i don't hit an inverted backhand well at all i stick to the classical one hand or yeah. slice. just because everyone else does it doesn't mean you should do it and that's yeah. that's like a lot of sports as well and if you know some people with a double hander some people hit single hander in able you wouldn't say one size fits all whatever works for you if i get any new junior or new player especially the junior kids i encourage them to do the inverted backhand the reverse backhand because they don't know otherwise that's what i teach anyway if someone's played more before so might keep going with what you're doing but with kids i teach them the inverted backhand straight away just like shane warne inspired so many people or young boys to take up leg spin bowling and we've just had the retirement of one of our all-time great wheelchair players in Dylan Alcott. Do you find there are a lot of players coming through that have been inspired by Dylan and even, say, Heath at the moment? Yeah, it's it's funny with athletes. When they're going around, they're in the news and so forth. not saying you're not going around at the moment, Heath, there. But that um, when Dylan was going around, it was very in your face the whole time. And there was a lot of kids like that. And they, uh, the kids focus on the, the next thing in, in the news, you know, the Matilda soccer has been dominating the headlines and the next four weeks we'll be dominating the, the news with football and so forth as well. So we're creatures of habit. We sort of follow what's currently in front of us. But at the same time, the, during the Australian Open and so forth, when Dylan and Heath were playing singles and doubles together, absolutely, we're at the forefront there and a lot of people come 
come to watch them. So um, I think it's uh, we need to get a few more players playing to, to get more kids going as well. Right now, who are some of the juniors that we should be looking for? Who are, who are the who are some of the players coming through that, that we should be playing the Australian Open or Paralympics, World Team Cup? I don't want to put names out there because that's a bit dangerous, that. But uh, I won't put any names. But currently, we've got a good crop of uh, kids that are making a transition to the, the senior ranks. They're 17, 18-year-olds. We've got a, another generation, 14 to 15-year-olds. And we've got some um, some younger ones as, as well from 12, 10 to 12 years old as well. You know, there's a good group of kids there and that creates um, competition within the groups. And also they can look forward to the uh, the other older kids there and got something to chase as well. So we're pretty healthy in the junior ranks. Um, very healthy. A few years ago, we struggled to make a junior draw, and now the uh, the junior draws uh, and nationals and teams competition they're almost the the highest entry levels, um, which is fantastic to see creating opportunities uh, for kids. Speaking about the junior tennis, are you excited to see that the U.S. Open is having? the second instalment of the Junior US Open this year in the wheelies? Yeah, it's fantastic to have that. I think the other Grand Slams will definitely follow suit as well. Um, We've got one of our juniors, uh, Ben Wenzel from Queensland, who's going to cross in the next uh, week, 10 days to participate in that. He's he's very excited and... uh, I explained to him, Grand Slams are, um, it's not like on the brochure, it's a, it's quite a madhouse, Grand Slams. They're, they're often very, very tough. And uh, just survival of transport and practice courts and just the whole thing of a Grand Slam is, is more challenging than the smaller tournaments by uh, a long way. In time, I'm sure the other Grand Slams will, will follow as well. But one of the challenges that Tennis Australia and the Australian Open do very well is they have lead-up events uh, before the Grand Slam and no other country does that, which makes it very expensive for Australian players. We're always travelling vast distances for, for one tournament. So hopefully the other Grand Slams will add some lead-up events and make it a bit more cost-effective for um, our juniors and senior players in the future. I remember talking to Salima after last year because he represented, he was our first junior Grand Slam player and you went over with him as coach and um, he was talking to me and saying that he was a little bit overwhelmed with the chaos of it all. Word chaos, yeah, chaos. Compared to to like the tournaments that he's played here or like in Thailand or stuff like that, there's just so many people and there's so much going on that it's not like you just send a WhatsApp message to Tim from Hume and say, hey, mate, can I have a practice court at nine o'clock? It's like you've got a call after the order of play comes out at 10 o'clock at night to try and get a court. And because even myself, like if I try and get a court on the practice courts at the US Open this year and Novak wants to practice when I want to practice, guess who's not practicing? Novak, obviously, but (laughs) um, you know what I mean? Like it's just, there's a big hierarchy and yeah, it's just chaos for, for the whole time you're there really. So I mean, for people like me, I thrive on chaos and I love it. So it's exciting and it's fun. But for for guys that I guess aren't used to it or aren't prepared for that sort of environment, it can be a little bit overwhelming and a bit full on. Yeah, definitely. I, I had a chat to Ben the other day and after I finished, after about 10 minutes, he had a different look on his face from the excitement. <laughs> Sort of drained off to the horror of what what he's going into, but he'll have a great time. It's an awesome experience, absolutely awesome experience. But um, as you said, it's not as though you pick up the phone and say, "Hey, Tim, or yeah, where's the water bottles? Where's this? Where's my practice? Where's the balls? And can I go back to the hotel now?" It's it's a constant grind uh, to survive there. It's, yep. it's still a 
so so I guess yeah, Ben's Ben's going to have a memory of lifetime. So and, and, yeah. and hopefully you know, and I guess that brings me to the point. Then in, in all your years, you're in wheelchair tennis. What are some of the great memories you have and of achievements and being involved with teams, players? They're all. I can go both ends of the, of the spectrum as well. There's there's one um, one of the early days when they played uh, the Australian Open wheelchair event after the Australian Open, and I was still working at the just I was working at the Talbot Hospital, and one of the guys that was in the hospital, actually checked himself out on a day pass and didn't tell anyone. And he went and played and he, he got runner-up on the C-grade wheelchair tennis. I'm going, that's a pretty cool <laughs> memory. <laughs> what was his name? Do you remember or not? Like, that's a great... David, David Harkowen, he's up near Shepparton Way. And uh, I looked him up the other day and he, he's still going, which is great. And uh, yeah, that would have been 90 something and he, Checked out and one, got runner up in the C grade. And I go, yeah, that's a cool moment. So, um, uh, it goes back, where have you been? And uh, oh, I just played the Australian Open, thanks. So, uh, <laughs> some of the, um, the, I've been fortunate enough to represent Australia as the coach of the World Team Cup and I've been lucky enough to win a few titles as well. And sometimes when you have a team which is kind of should win it, like we had one stage number um, three and four player in the world, and you win the World Team Cup and you go, well, yeah, yeah, we did, and you're obviously excited, but you've, you've got to say, yeah, so we should have or we should have been a contender. But we've been a couple of times where we've been, all right, well, yeah, if we make the semifinals, that's a great event, and we've actually gone further and, and finished up winning the event. One was with the women's team in New York where um, we beat the, the Dutch team and in a third-set tiebreaker of the doubles. You go, yeah, that's a pretty big highlight um, just to – make the semis was was huge and to do that and also with the juniors a couple of years ago we were in all sorts of trouble we lost the first couple of rounds in the pool matches oh geez you know let's hope we win a match here and uh, go home winning a match and uh, we we got through and the the further on we got with the event we got better and better and finished up winning uh, again in a a third set tiebreaker i think it was 11 13 in the in the third set or something like that so uh, they're the ones when you, you don't expect to win and you hope to do well and everyone to compete where you kind of steal one. That's pretty cool. I mean, if I'm correct, I think you've coached our last two junior teams who have both won, yes? Yeah, we, last two teams. Uh, this year we competed, we finished fourth this year. Yeah. But the two before that, that was kind of the... The one where we won in Israel, we were, you know, a bit of trouble. The following, we had COVID in there and then we went back two years later and those players had got a lot older and a lot better and we had two players in the top 10 and they were both flying. So we sort of rated ourselves, we're, we're going to be up the pointy end here and, and we, we should give it a shake. And yeah, no doubt it was still exciting and it was still a great effort from all the players, the way they went about their business. It was just different, just different. And you've also, like, Back in the day when I was a junior, you were the national coach of the men's team. Back when I was a kid, like in we had you were you had a lot to do with like David Hall and Anthony Bonacurso and Daniela de Toro, correct? We didn't have a big budget and we had fifty thousand dollars. <laughs> and we went to uh I think the one that uh he's talking about, we went to Italy in two thousand and two. So geez, twenty-one years ago. Heath, you're getting old. The budget consisted of we had one coach and I was looking after the uh, the men's and the women's team. The ITF were kind enough to say, all right, we'll, we'll do the women in the morning. You can start at 7 o'clock in the morning. 
And then when you finish that match, we'll put the men's on. So you're there about midnight. So I did uh, six matches every day for a week. And then sometimes I'd overlap and they'd put us on the adjoining courts. So I'd sit in the middle of the two courts, coaching two courts at the one time. And and that's what I, I kind of uh, <laughs> try to point out to people. A lot of people turn up now and they turn up the Australian Open. They go, oh, hang on. Yeah, someone's, I don't know, these balls are no good or something. And, Mate, well, what time we yeah, where's the physio? Well, we, we didn't have a manager, we didn't have a coach, we didn't have anything. And um, at the time, in uh, when we went in 2002, I didn't get paid either. I was just a volunteer. So obviously my expenses got paid, but um, there wasn't any budget for uh, any wage. So you're getting paid in lieu now or not? Do you get paid in lieu? No, no, I get free parking though. So. <laughs> Look, I, I guess just the you know last one, and probably we appreciate your time, but. Do you get excited when the Paralympic years come on? Like, is that is that an exciting time? You know, like you know, horse racing people look forward to the Melbourne Cup, and football people look forward to September. Like, is that Paralympic? Can't gets more excited about the Masters, mate. The Junior Masters? No, nah, the Golf Masters, mate. The Championship. Uh, I do like my golf, but the I swim in a different pool now as well because I get more excited about. Um, we've got some tournaments coming up in New South Wales and Canberra in the coming weeks and I'm traveling up there with some junior players so it's a bit weird I should be um, uh, I'm more excited about that because that's where my my interest and heart is at the moment yeah the wonderful invention of the the team's competition which uh, Tim you've helped us out there with the, the team trophy there the the Greg Crump Cup there and that's where we combine juniors and senior players together and uh that's just going from strength to strength to have juniors playing with senior players. That's something I, I really get excited for as well to, to see the team atmosphere. Anyone listening out there or what's the best way, um, if you know someone or if you are in a wheelchair, what's, you know, throughout Australia or even what's the best way to get into wheelchair tennis? I was going to throw out your number there, but uh, look, through Tennis Australia on their web pages as well. Uh, you can find me at, at Melbourne Park there. But yeah, get into sport, get into tennis, love it, enjoy it. You don't have to be a superstar to enjoy it. I'm uh, living proof for that you play it travel around melbourne or victoria after three o'clock most days and you might find him on a golf course somewhere so easy enough to say you day there 3 30 my membership doesn't start till 3 30 <laughs> so he so you said you're off to the u.s mate like obviously excited head away with marco next friday morning which will be cool so we get there and then we start on the tuesday so a couple of days to get over jet lag have a hit on the on the courts and flushing meadows and um, hopefully just continue to play some good tennis, man, and have fun out there. Mate, good luck. What, Thank you very much. What I'm looking forward to, though, is that you, you know, for our next edition that we do have an American to um, join us to give us an insight to how wheelchair tennis is going in America. We'll get the godfather of the quads, David Wagner, on next, next episode. Crumpy, so good. I think the one that I, I'll always remember is... You know, tennis is tennis, and I think that's that's a big part. And I, and I also know out at Hume when we when we have the the kids in the wheelchairs or the players in the wheelchairs, and they can just get out there and they can actually have a hit. And we've one of one of our wheelchair um, hub players often turns up to our social tennis uh, with the able bods and and plays, and they they like it just as much. And it's and I think that's the great thing about the sport, like you said, tennis is tennis. Yeah, absolutely. It, I, I was 
preach that line many a times, and I, I did again today. We had a, a new uh, physio, training physio going from Melbourne Uni there, and I, I was talking up you know, tennis. I said, you know, you don't need uh, two teams and an umpire. You don't need this or that. You can go anywhere regionally. You can play on a farm with your friends and family. That's one of the great things about tennis, and it, it really is the game of a lifetime. You don't have to get to 30 and go, oh, I'm, I'm too old to play this anymore. You can play it uh, at your level and, and still enjoy it. Once again, Crumpy, Thanks so much. Heath, I've got a new sign-off and I want to run it by you and tell me what you think. But I think at the end of every episode, we should say, keep pushing. I reckon that's all right. Just before we go, I will say thank you to Crumpy for joining us on uh, this episode of The Push. Um, And from the bottom of my heart, I just want to say thank you to you for everything that you've done to help me in my tennis career, mate. Um, I wouldn't be half the player I am today without your support and all the advice that you've given me over the years. So, um, Thanks heaps for that, buddy. And um, I can't wait to be hitting balls with you tomorrow on court. Beautiful. I'll be there. Everybody, keep pushing. The First Serve is your home of tennis at thefirstserve.com.au. Log on to find out all the details of our live radio show, other podcasts, read weekly features by our team of writers, and follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and subscribe to our YouTube channel.